Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Oh, you're just a delight, aren't you? I am gagged, cuffed, and living for that. Now that is very juicy. Welcome to Jordy's Juice. Ladies, gentlemen, and non-binary icons, and welcome to our podcast, Jordy's Juice. My name is Jordy Delight. I am the real housewife of Leaf, Drag's answer to Angel Delight, and on Aldi budget and full-time spinster. As well as all of this, I am an Edinburgh-based drag queen, DJ, actor, singer, activist, and your host for today's episode. In this series of Jory's Juice, I speak with legends of the UK's drag scene, where we discuss highlights of their careers, where they plan on sashing to next, and we also be dragging out all things RuPaul's Drag Race UK Season 3. We will review each episode and get juicy on what's been going down. The challenges, the villain edits, the tears, and who our money is on to win. Plus, all the most sickening looks on the runway. So boil the kettle and get the tea brewing because it's time to spill the goss and drag your thoughts away from your troubles. In today's episode of Jory's Juice, I had the privilege of interviewing performer, comedian and screenwriter Jody Mitchell, also known as drag king extraordinaire John Travolta. Jodie has worked in London doing stand-up comedy for many years, as well as founding the LOL Word, a platform for the best queer women and non-binary comedians, and co-hosting their own podcast, Secret Dinosaur Cult. John Travolva also performs with Pex, a collective of drag kings based in London, showcasing a thick Scottish accent and making raunchy Margaret Thatcher jokes. My chills are multiplying all of their incredible achievements so far, and they are clearly an electrifying talent. If there were ever a Danny to mass Andy, I can safely say Jodie is the one that we want.
I'm over the moon to have an absolute... Um, how would I describe them? They're such an incredible comedian, performer, um, podcast host. And I have to say, hearing your name, I can't help but think of one of my favourite singers, Jodie Mitchell. It, yeah. is, it is, of course, Jodie Mitchell, a.k.a. John Travolva. Now, let me just get into this already. That drag name is iconic. Where does that come from? I mean, it's a given, but how did you come up with that? Thank you so much for complimenting the drag name. I mean, it took a while. I sort of, I had that process of being like, I really want to have a drag name that I that I really, really love. I feel a great affinity with. So I pondered and pondered and pondered. And it just po- it popped into my head one day. And I had been using it for maybe three months until my sister was like, don't you think it's weird that your dad's name is John? And I was like, oh my God, I've let, I've let the daddy issues in and I haven't even noticed that's how potent they are. So I feel like somewhere, I mean, John is a, he's a Glasgow Catholic man and he's a, he's a feminist icon. Sure. He's a Glaswegian Catholic as is my dad, John. So I think I've definitely let the daddy issues in there somewhere. I feel like we've got a spiritual connection because you mentioned daddy issues. I can relate. (laughs) (laughs) I in drag, I'm now the real housewife of Leaf, but before that, I was like Dita Lolita, which is a whole other story for a different podcast, but I can totally <laughs> relate. Um, so it's so great to have you here. I'm so glad that we can have you on Jory's Juice talking about your work, and then we can chat a little later about the Drag Race episode that dropped last night, which uh, was a bit of a bit of an emotional roller coaster after two literal episodes, eh? Like, Yeah, it was a wild ride. It was a wild ride. And I just I felt, you know, we'll, we'll touch on it later, obviously, but you know that thing of Drag Race that I just thought we're two episodes in and I've had seen so many tears to last me, like a year. Like, um, So, yeah, it's going to be so much fun. So I would love for you just to briefly introduce yourself to my listeners, um, Jodie, a.k.a. John. Yeah, so I'm Jodie Mitchell. I'm a stand-up comedian uh, and I'm a drag king. And my drag king's name is John Travolver. I mostly perform drag with my with my family, with my troupe, Pex Drag Kings. And Pex has been going for, oh my God, I think like eight years now. And I joined a couple years after it was set up. I joined the family. And now we do we do shows that sort of tear apart gender and the patriarchy. That's the vibe. It's very sexy. There are lots of hot men. And um, yeah, it's like the love of my life. I just can't, I can't believe I found drag. I was so lucky to find drag. I was doing improv comedy when I was recruited, which was a real low point. A real low point. So thank <laughs> God drag came along. And uh, yeah, it's just, I've never looked back. You know, drag is life-changing. It's everything. It's funny because I think on Drag Race, actually last night, they talked about how there were people that wanted to do other careers but fell into drag because they didn't feel welcome, they didn't feel accepted. And I've, I have felt with my drag journey, I don't know if you felt the same, that when you're sort of doing performing, you feel being queer especially, that you're not really kind of accepted, you're not welcome. So doing drag felt like the kind of right thing naturally for us to fall into. I don't know if you're the same as me, but that was kind of what happened with me that in my first degree, I was like, what to do drama? But I was getting told, you know, you, um, you'd be really good at playing the cutesy sort of like young guy roles or you'd be this and I'm sitting going I I don't want to do that like I want to be myself and and I want to flourish that way and drag helped me do that so I don't know if that's been the same for you yeah a hundred percent I think drag drag started to happen naturally for me while I was doing improv because I was being talked over a lot 
because I was one of the I was one of the only people in the troupe that wasn't uh you know like a cis guy I was being talked over all the time and obviously that happens anyway constantly um but as soon as I started doing characters that were perceived as more masculine people just stopped talking over me and I've been told a lot that I wasn't um that I wasn't confident enough so it was like a year-long process of getting into this improv troupe and they were like you're doing really well but you're not confident enough we need to see more confidence from you and I was like I'm so confident I don't know I think I'm amazing I'm pretty sure I'm confident I'm a phenomenal performer I'm very funny what's going on and then I realized what it was it was that I was doing these sort of more it's hard to imagine now because I'm, I'm living my mask life, but I was doing much more femme characters. As soon as I walked on, I was like, everyone shut the fuck up. Like everyone was just quiet. No one talked over me and no one was introducing me as like, you know, Vanessa with the boobs or like making me the butt of the joke or sort of doing this sort of punch down comedy that then I think as a queer performer, you're so often put in this position of like, someone says something that's actually a real a real problem or makes the space unsafe and then you're put in the position of I can't be funny in this moment because I have to call this in and that's not funny and I I was sort of walking that line quite a lot but then once I became this sort of high status character everything just became easy and then drag drag just sort of followed on naturally from that I think John Travolta was definitely born in the world of improv comedy much as it hurts me to say it <laughs> I, I loved improv comedy like I used to find it really fun and um, it was really funny because I did do a bit of stalking and searching and I found a couple of your routines on YouTube that I thought were brilliant and one that really stood out that kind of correlates with what you've just said there was in 2018 you'd done the stand-up I think it was a finals of something and you'd said like you're making a lot of cunt jokes because I felt like you were kind of reclaiming that thing that people do to um, people like men particularly have treated people and I'd noticed that and I thought it was really interesting how you were kind of making almost a mockery of men in the sort of way you were doing it I thought it was really interesting and then I'd seen in your John Travolta stand-up you were making Thatcher jokes and you were doing this very sort of working class man and I thought to myself I feel like we'd get on. (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. I'm glad you feel like that I feel like that too I've also also done my research I feel we'll definitely get on I just like I love doing the reclaiming stuff you know Mm. it's the thing that's the most rewarding it's the most empowering I think it resonates the most with people it's just it's the most rewarding work to be doing I think that's Mm -hmm. why drag feels like there's there's so much more scope to push boundaries without without feeling lonely or unsafe like you've got other drag artists with you they all get it like I just did this show at Soho with Pex called the boys are back in town and it was just like a euphoric comeback show and we weren't really gonna we weren't going into it like oh we want to make this this big political message about a specific thing that's happened or we were just trying to be like We've had this bizarre couple of years where all the men have been locked inside. What does that look like when you're coming back as a drag, like as a drag king artist and you mm. are, you're putting that on stage. Everyone's been having their own existential crisis. Everyone's just been sitting with their thoughts. Everyone's been encouraged by social media to do some minimal feminist research. What is that on stage? And even just from that little grain it became a show that was basically about like gender euphoria 
and about finding um, what you feel good in and about self-acceptance. And I don't, I can't think of another art form where that could happen naturally without having to go into the space and be like, this is what I want to do. And like arguing with all the, I don't know, like TV people or uh, or like other theatre practitioners being like, no, I really want to do this super rad queer show and having to mm. fight for its space. Like drag, there already is the space there. And I, I'm just so grateful for it. I can't believe that it exists. Like when I look back to me as like a little queer child, mm. being like, no, there's going to be this space for you in the future where people are just, they're going to turn up just to see some gender euphoria on stage and they're going to love mm. that. Oh, thank God it exists. I totally get you. And I was on my own sort of journey of discovery during the pandemic, like what you're mentioning there, this sort of existential crisis that I felt a lot of people went through. And, and this idea that doing a show about what happened when the drag kings were cooked up, I just loved that because I was going for a similar thing, you know, realising my non-binary identity. And, yes. you know, I make a joke earlier saying, oh, daddy issues, I get you. But, you know, during the pandemic, I sorted a lot of my shit out that now I'm dating a guy that's younger that before that I'd have been like, oh my God, I need a guy that's older, take care of me. Now I'm like, no, I want a younger hottie, like making me feel good. (laughs) So I totally get that. So I want to kind of go into this interview and ask a few questions if this is Mm -hmm. all right, because I want to get to know a bit more about you as a practitioner that, you know, what was life like? Was it Kilmarnock you grew up in, I'm pretty sure, or just outside of Kilmarnock? Yeah, so my family, they're all from Ayrshire and they're all like mostly in Beeth, which is like, I feel like for Scottish listeners, this makes total sense. But whenever I talk about like different areas of Scotland, let alone Ayrshire in London, people are just like, and what's Scotland? Is it a country? Um, so yeah, the Ayrshire. <laughs> Ayrshire. My like great my great grandma's Kilmarnock, so that's where that's where the family, the family mm. hub is. Right. And, uh, and- yeah. And in terms of like performance, so what was life growing up? What was life like growing up? And then you became a performer, you know? Yeah, I, I had a really weird, a, like a weird childhood where we moved around a lot. So like my mm. family were in Scotland. We lived in Scotland for a big chunk of my childhood. And then we moved to Cambridge, which is why I dramatically lost the accent, as you can hear. Um, I'm a, a very quiet when I visit the family homes now. We don't we don't display the Cambridge accent on the streets of Kilmarnock. Um, yeah, so we moved to Cambridge, and then it. Uh, I guess we were there for a few years, and then I I got a, a scholarship from like quite a rough school that I was at. I got moved to a very like posh private school, um, and that's where I was like properly encouraged to perform because I'd always I'd always wanted to perform like ever since I was a kid I'd wanted to do drama I'd wanted to be on stage Mm. but there were there wasn't the resources at the schools that I was at really to like properly encourage that so I had some amazing teachers that were like you can do this you know you're really good at this you should always do something that brings you joy and I so I don't want to overlook that at all but also they were like limited in the amount of time they could give me because they had massive classes um but then once I moved there, I was just really lucky. I was really privileged. I got really like focused drama tuition um, and I was just encouraged to do it basically. And so once mm. I hit uni, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do my degree and I'm going to learn about history and then I'm going to throw it all away. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to go and I'm going to do stand up comedy. 
I think the the turn to stand up was while I was at uni because I I've been told a lot when I was younger that I was that I was funny and people said to me like you should do you should do stand up and I was like no I want to do I want to be in Hamlet why would I do stand up I'm a serious actor um but then I I did it for a for a joke actually I think someone was like you should just try it and it was like lightning I was like oh, I love it I love stand up um I love comedy there's so much more space to get people on board and like to connect with people and then ever since then I've just mm. I've just I haven't been able to stop I just love it so much it but at the same time I wasn't like when the industry closed down I wasn't like oh I can't I can't live without it because then I was like well, I can still write I can you know it will come mm. back I've just got to hold on but it's fantastic to be back in the sad one that's such a healthy approach because I felt that at the beginning of the pandemic I thought my whole life's been stripped away from me what am I going to do very like sort of dramatic of me to lie on the couch go oh my god it's all happening about me but but it was that thing of right well do you know what I am a writer I am doing my Emmy I am there are things I can do to help time pass Mm. and then obviously um when it comes to this it's quite interesting listening to you because I I always speak to people particularly queer people who said that drama as a kid teenager really influenced them and helped them because obviously it's that thing of you feel different so when you go to a community where difference is a good thing you want to be celebrated on stage in these roles you go ah, there is a place for me where I feel safe. So I'm not surprised that drama kind of really influenced that. I speak to many people, actually. I've got a friend who once did events management who went, fuck this, I just want to be a drag queen and quit. Yeah. And But through events, they found a drag event and that's how it happened. So I do believe in that cosmic force that can somehow get you on the path. Um, talk me through, though, like I've never done stand-up. I'm, a, I'm an MC host and stuff in Edinburgh, but I've never done stand-up. So talk me through, what was it like doing that first stand-up routine and what did it feel like? It felt it felt terrifying when I was going, like, waiting to go on. Because I did my first ever gig at, um, at the Pleasance, which is during term time, it's just, you know, it's part of Edinburgh Uni, it's just a chill space. But because the Fringe happens in Edinburgh, actually the backstage of the Pleasance cab bar I don't know if you've been in it. It's got it's got all the yeah, it's got all the like posters, years and years and years of performers. Everyone signed the walls. I think no, I think Noel Fielding had signed like just to the side of the door when I was going on. And at the time, I did have a mullet, and I, I really I love it. That was an important moment for me. I was like, my mullety idol has been here. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was overwhelming. I felt really freaked out. Um, but I think a lot of big stand-up venues are almost designed to do that like my first paid gig was at the stand and wow. that that has above the the door in Glasgow it says you don't have to do this someone's written that there it's been there for years because they've got black walls people write on them in chalk um and it's like a very like abandon all hope you who enter here moment when you see it so it's that those initial nerves but then the reward is so much bigger. I think the first laugh that I got was about 20 seconds in and the first 20 seconds seemed to span like a lifetime. It's like you watch your life flash before your eyes and you're like, this is never going to end. It's the worst thing that has ever happened to me. And I've only got to be here for five minutes. It feels like about 10 years. But actually that laugh was like the most cathartic thing. I was like, oh, I love it. I love it. I'm never going to stop doing it. 
So what sort of stuff influences your sets then when you do it? You know, what sort of themes and what sort of comedians influence your comedian sets? I just love surrealism, really. Mm. Surreal, because it's a... I think especially for queer performers, so much of our actual life experience is it's quite traumatic sometimes it's traumatic to put on stage it's traumatic for other queer people to listen to and yet so much of stand-up comedy is about being relatable so you do you do want to get representation on stage and you do want to um, make people feel seen and I I live the life I live I can't go on and pretend that I'm someone completely different um so I do want to talk about my life, but what I found in the end is that the safest way to do that and the way that brings me the most reward and I think the audience the most reward is to just be surreal with it. So to take like going going to the hairdressers to try and get my hair cut in a masculine way, but then just make it into the most surreal thing that you can possibly make it into. So I have a set that's about, um, you know, like shit that guys have said to me and in my local barbers my local barbers is called man cave it's very welcoming and inclusive um and it's like the bet i actually love my barber there my barber there is amazing um but yeah it's like you get the wildest stuff said to you and mm. it's perfect for stand up but it's also trauma for queer people to listen to but if you turn mm. it into something silly and surreal everyone gets a laugh but no one goes away just feeling a bit sad you know, no one wants to feel a bit sad. That's the worst. Yeah. So, yeah. One of my best friends is a trans man and he found that going to hairdressers, there was such a thing of women going, oh, but your hair's so beautiful long. Why do you want to cut it? And he's like, uh, oh, and he's constantly having to sort of um, reaffirm his identity for it. And then I found, because I, uh, my hairdresser went mat leave and I was like, right, I want to find an LGBT barber. And there's only one in Edinburgh called Stag and there's two of them. And I went and the first thing they said was on their application, you know, what are your pronouns? And I thought, oh my God, yes, here for this. And yeah. I then recommended it to him. And he was like, oh my God, thanks so much for finding this. Because they were just like, yeah, that's fine. You want hair done like this? They're not going, but you know, maybe you could, no. No, <laughs> no. please. It's that thing where it's like, it, it creates awkwardness in the room as well when people don't get it. Like the amount of times that I've had to argue for a haircut and then it's like they're shaving the side of your head so hard. It's like they're trying to carve out the bit of your brain that questions the gender binary. It's a whole mm. thing. Um, yeah, there's a really good place called Open Barbers in London, which mm. is a similar vibe, like pronoun check-ins. I think they'll even get rid of the mirrors view if you don't fancy like staring at your own face, having an existential for an hour. Um, not that my haircut takes an hour, much as it's yeah. gorgeous. Um, <laughs> it is gorgeous, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as it's yours. Well done, Matt. Thank you. Um, so in regards to, obviously, John Travolva, can you tell me sort of, we we spoke about it at the beginning, but could you tell me how that happened? Like, you know, where did stand-up then go into being a drag king? So when I, I, I got recruited to PEX, which I think is quite, it's quite a weird way to start out in drag you know I didn't I had the experience of like going out on my own and wanting to try stand up under my own steam but I was really really lucky um the two directors of Pex at the time just happened to see me do a show and they were looking for someone who could um who could compare basically and do writing for the frameworks of the shows and they were about to do a big show at Soho called the 80s show it was about like 80s icons because it was 
they did it in 2016 2017 so around the time that like so many of the like queer icons of the 80s had like you know either had comeback moments or passed away sort of about that um and about like reflecting on the lessons from the 80s the AIDS crisis you know really important queer lessons and so they they were looking for someone to do writing around the show and they just had they happened to see me do improv and they happened to see me do like these I think I actually did a character that's quite similar to John on like some improv game that had a pat like a panel of experts um and so they talked to me afterwards and they were like would you be interested in doing this uh and before I even walked on stage or tried dressing up as John um I had coffee with them and they said we've got a list of questions to ask you and they're about your drag king and wow. just uh, just say whatever comes to you naturally and they were they were like the most inane questions and I I think everyone should do it because it's it's such a good way to think of a character and I I knew the answers to all of them instinctively like I think we all have a drag persona inside of us for whatever purpose that drag persona is gonna serve whether it's just the drag persona that like makes you coffee in the morning I think we've all got Mm. one these questions were like is his room messy what's his favorite drink does he prefer summer or winter and they sort of became progressively more intimate until they were about, you know, childhood and relationships. Um, I knew all of the answers. And at the end, they were like, do you, do you think you know who he is? And I was like, yes. And I just went away and, and mellowed on it for a while, came up with the name. And that, and that was it, really. I went and did a trial show with them. I got the, the makeup done for the first time. And I was like, wow, like I'm walking, I'm walking differently. And I, that, that's a weird thing about drag that people don't talk about that much. But everyone that I do drag with is like once you've once you've actually acknowledged for yourself that gender is a construct and that the way that we dress, well, we all deserve to dress how we want to dress. And that is valid and has to be respected and celebrated. It is all a costume. So like once you've accepted that, you get to lean into what the costume is letting you do. Like the first time that I bound, I now bind all the time. Like I'm, it's like a thing that helps me with my gender dysphoria. But at the time I was identifying as a woman and I I wasn't binding. And the first time I ever bound was doing drag. The first time I had my chest bound and I, I think I, we didn't have packers at the time. I think we used like rolled up socks Uh, and it just completely like changes your center of gravity like everyone's sitting in the room like man spreading and the first time I walked on stage I was like I can just take up as much space as I want and I've mm. walked through the world differently ever since I perform I do drag kinging with lots of people that are cis women and actually present very femme in their day-to-day lives and they have all said that they walk through the world differently too they take up more space mm. so I just think it's it's like vital that everyone gets to play with that because you you put on drag every day and mm-hmm. it's so important to have that moment of being like able to play with it I don't think I think most people don't get the chance to play and it's mm. so good to have I don't know I don't know if other drag performers over lockdown have had more space to think about it as well because I definitely got I got stuck in a bit of a rut with John where I was like John looks like this and he does this kind of performing and actually over lockdown, I was like, I think John would love to camp it up on stage. And now, now he's doing all kinds of camp shit. Have you mm-hmm. found that? Do you think your drag's changed over lockdown? 
or the elevation, not in terms of like makeup as such, but just like characterization and everything has completely changed because my tagline is the real housewife belief now, because <laughs> I went from very much being quite club kid inspired, Lee Bowery nineties to mm. quite Stepford wife meets the scheme. Like that's my vibe now. <laughs> Because that was what I wanted to do. I thought, well, what am I? I live in Leaf. I'm from Leaf. And I thought, I need to make it like the Real Housewives. I just think that's me in a nutshell. So it has. I definitely agree with you. It's funny you talk there about actually how they gave you the questions and how inane they were. But for me, I was running recently the first um, drag school for Scotland in Dumfries. And one of the things I did with the kids on the first ever day when they came in saying, I know my drag persona, my drag name is this. And I said to them, okay, well, let's do a hot seat exercise. And I got them to all sit as their characters and answer random questions to help them get their aesthetic. And it's similar to that in drama that you get a character, you hot seat them, they answer improv on their gut instinct and that helps build the character. So I totally get that. And it's funny, you mention a lot of these things with Drag King because I have two Drag King sons in my house um, in Edinburgh and I totally understand the binding, the binding and all these other things you mentioned because especially for one of them who's a woman, a cis woman, who she felt that she can go on stage and channel this masculine stuff that people wouldn't question. But because she's quite femme out of drag, she'd probably get pushed aside and she'd get really pissed off about it. So now she's channeling it into her day life like, eh, who do you think you are? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> we want to see it. We want to see it. <laughs> Can you um, can you tell me more about the LOL word? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the great debate, the LOL word, the LOL word, both right. work, both beautiful. Okay. Um, I'm going to go LOL word just because I'm lazy. But <laughs> yeah, it's my queer, like all, it's basically like all women, all like non-binary, trans, queer performers who do stand up or, you know, like comedy performing stuff. It's our collective and we, uh, we perform, we're, our next few shows are at Soho Theatre. It's basically a, a comedy night where. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There aren't any cis men on stage making people feel uncomfortable. That's the vibe. It's for everyone good. else. And uh, good. it's amazing. <laughs> I was just, again, I was so lucky to just find... Um, the original crew is very, like... Is very much the the butch bros of the comedy scene, Anna. It's a beautiful vibe. We're all just sweet, mm. soft boys looking to make comedy that doesn't upset people. And uh, yeah, it was wild. We did a fringe show in 2017 that was sort of an accident. I think um, Shelf, who are an amazing sketch comedy duo, they couldn't do their full run because one of them had other commitments. And so they were like, oh, we'll just find other like queer performers on the scene and we'll do a, a collab show. And we were all re-watching the L word at the time. So we were like, oh, we should call it the LOL word. We should call it the LOL word. It'll be really, really funny. Um, and it just blew, it just blew up. Um, I think there was just like a real, a real niche where people just really wanted a night where they could, go and and feel chill about watching comedy and I don't I don't think that really that that hadn't been a thing that had been catered to especially Mm. in London like I I think it's important to not assume that you know all the scenes in the UK but especially Mm. in London it just wasn't being catered for at all um Mm. and now yeah we've got this big following we do these like really celebratory nights where everyone just comes and has a laugh we've got you know, I, I was about to say, like, the lesbian mafia of the comedy scene is strong. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many of us. And, uh, yeah, it's just amazing. It's been mm. it's been amazing to have drag as this sort of separate space where that mm. which is so celebratory. But a big part of that for me at the beginning was sort of mitigating some of the shittier aspects of doing stand-up, whereas now I feel like we've carved out a space where those shittier aspects just don't exist within stand-up itself, which is so important because stand-up, I mean, it's years behind other industries in terms of, of just stopping the shit. Um, mm-hmm. The amount of dodgy things that happen, is just unbelievable. And the amount of people that know about it is unbelievable as well. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's basically impossible to out anyone. So it, it's, mm-hmm. it can be quite scary sometimes. And I, it's just been very reassuring to have that family there because in drag mm-hmm. you've got your family and they've got your back but in stand-up you're sort of you're on your own and you're going in front of like a crowd of people who are basically like they don't really want to laugh at you like you've got to win them over yeah. and you go backstage and you're with uh, sometimes groups of people that also aren't really there for you like they kind of want you to fail as well and so we're just trying to we've 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 pushed back against that and now we have this space which is all about uplifting each other and having a good time as like supporting each other and supporting our audience and having a good time as well that's a 
that's amazing. Such an accomplishment. Well done to all of you for putting that together. That's so brilliant. And it's funny you mentioned this sort of like um, what it's like in the London space and these assumptions people can make because we had Mary Mack on last week who spoke beautifully about the London drag scene on her experience. Mm-hmm. And I'd mentioned to her that some drag artists in Scotland have a tendency to kind of go, oh, in London, it's amazing. Everything's brilliant. and Everyone's paid all this. And I'm sitting going, I have friends in London who actually tell me what it's like. It's not this idea you've got from a tweet you've seen that's it's not like that do you know what I mean yeah. so it's interesting to hear you talk about that and in regards to um to your project with the stand-up situation it's interesting you mentioned this sort of how stand-up is quite far behind mm-hmm. because my one of my best friends who lives in Glasgow who's a stand-up comedian she'd done an event online on zoom that I watched a few months ago her best friend is a trans woman and one of the people doing it, Mandy hadn't even realised because she was doing her uh, routine and stuff, but one of the women did make a bit of a underlying transphobic joke that I thought, uh. and, I lis- and I listened and I thought, oh, it's just, it's, it just, it didn't land, but it was one of those like, if I identify as a toaster or, and I just thought, oh, uh, and, and she obviously is making jokes about like that she's a sex worker and all this. And I'm going, yes, Mandy. But well, the other one I thought, oh, because there's always one. But I thought when you say that, I'm not surprised you're feeling that with um, with how things have been because people just do it and they don't realise. Um, and in terms of your other projects, before we kind of get onto Drag Race, the only last thing I wanted to ask you about was your secret dinosaur cult podcast. Yeah. Yeah, what's that about? Um, it's basically about... It's about daddy issues. I feel it's the perfect podcast for you. Um, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get you one. We'll chat it through. Um, yeah, it's about daddy issues. It's about feminism. It. We decided to do it in the most random way where we were like, we really, we want to talk about all of this stuff and we don't really want to have to box the podcast in. So we were like, we'll just disguise it behind some random culty idea we'll make it about dinosaurs but it won't actually be about that which in terms of branding was a really off the wall choice um would I do it again possibly not but it's really worked (laughs) out and uh yeah it's me and Sophie Hagen who's like an incredible award-winning comic and yeah was like a big inspiration to me when I was first doing stand-up so it's really wild to get to work with them um and yeah it's just basically the two of us talking about all our opinions on things and having a laugh. It's very funny, I promise. I love it. I'm going to have to listen to it after this episode. I'm going to have to go and listen to it. Um, and can people just find that podcast from typing in um, the name Dinosaur Cult? Yeah, yeah, it's everywhere. You can find it right. everywhere. And then I over lockdown, I set up another podcast called The Drag King Cast, which is me... And Luce Willis, one of my um, my siblings from Pex, and that sort of interviewing, yeah, different drag kings from across the UK scene. Um, so yeah, I'm really on. I'm I'm on the podcast train because of lockdown, but I'm glad that I was doing Secret Dinosaur Cult for so long before it. Hardcore mm-hmm. prep. <laughs> and I just I couldn't help but laugh at Luce Willis. It, it hit me two seconds after you said it. I went ah, clever. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? <laughs> Brilliant. So obviously we're nicely going into drag race now. Um, you know, I watched the episode last night and I um there were a few things that stood out for me. Um and I think obviously I mentioned earlier to you briefly, like it felt quite heavy going very quickly, which you know, any reality TV show has a tendency to do as we know, but I did feel that 
it became really intense, obviously, with Victoria Scone having a, a sort of injured leg. I didn't even anticipate that was going to happen watching the episode. Yeah, so um, early on as well. I feel gutted for her because she's clearly, like, such a perfectionist, mm. went in so strong at the beginning... Mm. I can't believe I can't believe it's been left on the cliffhanger. I'm gutted. I want to know now how the knee is. I've gotten very invested in a knee. I never thought I would be this invested in a knee. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because it's not funny, haha. But I was like seeing the parallel between that and Eureka in season nine when she mm. broke her leg and she was just so. But the thing that I thought was interesting was obviously Eureka was very much like, oh, it's a bit sore, but I'm fine, and it was so subtle. And then at the end, it was. Eureka, you need to heal. And it was like, oh my God, what? Where's this come from? Where's Victoria? I did feel that, I mean, power to her for getting that routine done. Even I did note that she was on a stool at one point and that's when I worried. I thought, because obviously in rehearsal, she wasn't on a stool. And then when I watched it and I went, oh, she's on a stool. And the other fear fight, and I thought, that doesn't, to me, if she's having to sit on a stool, that must be that she's just in a lot of pain, but she's determined. And, and I feel maybe... There'll be a thing as well that, you know, she's went in all guns blazing because she's an AFAB queen that she identifies as herself. And I just thought she'll be like, I'm not leaving unless I need to literally get dragged to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and, um, and I worried when I saw her on a stool. And then obviously at the end when they mentioned, oh, you know, we'll have to get an evaluation done. And it was a cliffhanger, like you mentioned. I thought, I need to know this now. <laughs> I'm no. invested. I've been, I've been scrolling through her Instagram. I'm like, the leg seems okay now. She see, you know, it seems okay. I'm like, but maybe Instagram's just lying. I can't, I've been checking up on this leg so intensely. But yeah, mm. I've just gutted. I think she's amazing. I really- I'm obsessed. Yeah, I was so, I was obviously so excited to see that she was going to be in it. And I was like, you know, making the big changes on Drag Race. Yes, we love to see it. Mm. Being more representative of the actual drag community. We love to see that. But I was like, I wasn't like, you know, gunning for her out of the bat I was like this is great mm -hmm. this is how it should always have been but she's phenomenal I'm mm -hmm. I bet you if, I mean if she has to leave the other queens are very lucky because she's yeah. one to contend with I think we mentioned on last week's episode me and Mary Mack the fact that one of the queens had said to her, I think it was Ella the day had said you know how do you feel about being in a room full of men and, and stuff and she was like I'm used to this I work in the West End and I was like yeah it's getting <laughs> told like but I, I got a lot of time for her and even when they were doing the choreo and she mentioned that the women from Strictly Come Dance and um, you know she's like oh she's so fit and I went yes like, <laughs> <laughs> I know I think Hating I spent I think I spent like 90% of the episode just going yes at her repeatedly and then booing the others and I'm only joking but um, <laughs> but it was really interesting and it kind of ties in nicely to the beginning so obviously they done this was it I think Rupert Market sweep thing that I was a bit like yeah. <laughs> and I thought to myself like, next time you hear the beep yes <laughs> do you know what I mean like and I love that because I did expect you know Dale to come out and be like, hi, everyone. But um, but it was a really good sort of episode with that sort of supermarket sweet vibe. I thought that was really British culture. I used to love watching challenge quiz shows when I was a kid, so I quite liked that. Um, and it reminded me of, I did a show in 20, January 2020 where we actually had the club remix of Supermarket Sweep come on when we were doing this weird audience game of Find Your Lungs. It was a drag show about lung transplants. I'll tell you in our time about it. But Sounds amazing. It was, but it was that thing that people were really hyped because they were like, oh, yeah, it's like, will you dance with me? Like, it was just so much fun. <laughs> but then 
Crystal Versace, I'm gonna I'm gonna come at this because I need to, right? You go, you from, go. From an impartial lens, I'm gonna try and see through this from an adult, mature um, way, right? I did feel watching it at the beginning. I was like, there's no need to make comments about someone's weight like this. Mm. Now. At the beginning, I thought, I'm not liking this, but let's see how it's handled. And when obviously Victoria Scone, who she made the comment about the weight, sat down and actually said to her, listen, like, you know, I had an eating disorder. Um, you know, I, there was a lot that I went through being too skinny and too big and working in the dance industry, which I could have mentioned to you at the beginning of the episode, you know, that thing of not feeling wanted, therefore drag. It's yeah. so, when I speak to trained da ballet dancers, that is such a thing. And um, I did feel that she explained herself brilliantly. And I was so impressed. What I had a lot of respect for was her empathy to go, I know you didn't mean anything by this, but you shouldn't have done this. I thought, God, you're like a teacher like me. You are going, yeah. don't do that. Yeah, but I, I loved that. I thought it was beautiful. It was such a good example of calling in as well, because she wasn't like, oh, I'm fine. I don't feel anything at all. She was like, it was a bit triggering but I'm in a position where I can talk to you about it because I don't want you to say this to someone else who it will really, really trigger. And mm -hmm. I was like, that is, I mean, so much empathy, so much holding space. We shouldn't expect people to do that because not everyone has the spoons to educate people all the time, but mm -hmm. I had so much respect for it. And I, I thought it was really great as well that she was like, showing that she saw the nuances of the conversation, which was like, you know, I see that you also might have some stuff around your eating. You've talked about that a little bit. I understand mm. it's not black and white, but also let's be more careful in future. I just, what a fuck up to have. Sorry, can I swear this much? I've realised I'm can swearing swear. away. Okay, cool. You can swear. Um, I realised I forgot to check. Yeah, it's like, what a fuck up to have as a, as a little 19-year-old that's gone on TV. Mm. Um, and my to just follow nicely from what you said there my thing when she'd got pulled up in Victoria I love that me and my friends have got that thing of calling in you know privately messaging gal guy non-binary no like come on yeah. um, and and some people don't want to do that and that is fine but for me that works with my friends and when she'd said to Crystal like no and and when Crystal did explain oh do you know what like I think to the VT she's like you know I was trying to be shady and obviously didn't come across the right way and I did I do have this worry it's not Crystal it's a bigger issue here that when you're someone like Crystal and it's no shade as a drag queen says it's my experience who is younger mm -hmm. and she's about seven years younger than I am and she grows up watching Drag Race. I didn't grow up watching Drag Race. I grew up watching Lily Savage, etc., which was in a way more extreme, but so farcical, whereas she's watching the Shady Queens read and yeah. do this, like, you know, villain stuff that she'll think is really funny. And she gets in there and she's 19, she's young, and she's going, this is what they'll want me to do, and she does it. And then you go, actually, people have feelings. Like. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I feel like that's the big difference between the US drag race and the UK drag race as well. Because why I love UK drag race so much. Like people are sort of there to support each other a bit more. And yeah, she's you're right. She's brought that kind of shadiness and she's put it, she's put it in a UK space <laughs> where the queens yeah. are like, no. And I love the US one too, watching it, but I did feel that my worry isn't, it's not a reflection of the show. It's just the fandom really that younger queens will or kings, etc., will come in and go, 
oh my god, I'll be shady, and and they're not really thinking about the impact of that. Yeah. And it's it's what because she is like you know the thing I will say it because I said it last week on this the other episode was that she did that and I thought girl like seriously and then she came on stage where a runway and I thought oh you're so beautiful <laughs> like it was because she just and it was incredible and she did I'll give her a due in the main challenge I actually was like wow she did kill it she did brilliant like Crystal Versace really did well at the main challenge like I was quite impressed and um, I felt like the main challenge as a general comment I had wrote down it felt a bit like the UK TV show Gladiators cast did a Jane Fonda video Oh my God, it was like someone took my worst nightmare and made it into a drag show. Could you imagine? I felt so bad for them. Imagine being guided through what that was going to be, being like, you're going to have to do a workout. Because when I first heard it, I was like, oh, they're, good. they're just going to be doing like a silly thing. No, they actually did a workout, already a nightmare. Then on top of that, <laughs> they were like, you're going to have to speak while you're doing the workout another layer of nightmare absolutely not why would you ever do that that's like wild and then on top of that no you will not just speak you will have to scream and be like a terrifying nightmare person I mean it was phenomenal I loved watching it it was as usual excellent tv but I just felt for the performers Mm -hmm. I felt for them so hard I can't believe that they all managed to well with the exception of a few crush the routine mm. which i'm not judging them for i would not be able to crush the routine yeah yeah i mean i mean i'm a comedy queen i'm a singer but you're not going to catch me doing if i got on that show and i did choreo like that i mean i would just <laughs> i can imagine the scenes i can imagine just the scenes but you know what like i i powered to them and i felt veronica really did well this week um in the challenge and her runway i wasn't it's quite funny because it's again no shade I loved her runway look. It was gorgeous. Not many people can pull off yellow and it's my favourite colour. And her hair was so 80s. But I didn't really like the nude lip. Like, I was like, for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I love a nude lip. I do, because I like to have a bright eye. And I'll do a nude lip or a peachy pink. But I was like, it was quite dark. And I felt like it matched the hair, but I just felt like a nice pink would have actually complemented the yellow. But that's just my preference because I think Michelle had made a comment about the bold lip and I thought it wasn't it wasn't my first choice but she did look beautiful and she did do so well yeah um I love Veronica I love that she just turns up and smashes it every week and I mm-hmm. I really feel for her because she's sitting there being like I'm having to tell them again that I'm a contender and it's like oh it's because it's because your offstage persona like people are overlooking you because you're just like a nice quiet person and, but then you get on stage, you have this whole other persona. I do think it's weird when drag performers forget that that is the case for a lot of drag performers. Like, that's the point of having this separate persona. They're the ones mm-hmm. that go out and smash it. Yeah, sweet Veronica. I just think she's lovely. She's such yeah, a good queen. She is, and to be honest, when chat, uh, when obviously Crystal Versace was saying comments, mm. and even Veronica, when Crystal during the rehearsal was like, I can't do this, I'm not good, blah, blah. And I was like, and I hate to say it, but... I'm pretty sure one of the queens was the L of a day was like, oh, now you're stressing. And I was like, well, you know, you were criticizing everyone earlier, but now you're kind of plummeting. But what I thought was incredible was Veronica being like, we're going to get this done. We're a team. And I was like, that is just so kind. Yeah, so, so kind-hearted. kind. And even after she was, you know, she was there being like, no, like you should appreciate yourself. You did this. You did really well. I'm like, she hasn't even won. And she's being kind. 
Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. We love her. Totally. And then with obviously the workroom, like when Vanity Milan was talking, I thought was a really interesting conversation. I want to flag up obviously in this episode was that I was so immensely grateful for Vanity Milan to talk about her experience of racism growing up. And just the fact that she was educating everyone, which isn't really her purpose. We all need to be educating ourselves on this issue. Yeah. But I thought it was incredible. She spoke so eloquently and I loved that. And the comparison she made, it was like the darker, the berry, the sweeter juice, which I heard and was like, I'm pretty sure it's a hairspray lyric. Pretty sure it's, it's in like Run and Tell That by Elijah Kelly. He's like, well, I think it's Elijah Kelly. And he's like, Run and Tell That. He's like, the darker, the berry, the sweeter, the juice. And I was like, yes. So <laughs> I love that she used that quote because it was just so... Um, such a beautiful comparison and I just thought I felt so glad she brought the conversation because one of the things that was ridiculed on the show was on social media was you know she was the only queen from the BAME community who was on the show and everyone else was white and it was a thing that a lot of people were talking about on social media so it was good she brought it up. Yeah I think Vanity is amazing. I did feel mm -hmm. like she, her critiques this week I did feel like they were a bit unfair they were really I, critical. Yeah, she turned it out when she was doing the routine. I can't mm. believe that she was put in the bottom basically over a wig. I was just like, is it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure about it. I don't, of, I don't often argue with Rue's critiques mm -hmm. in general, can respect the critique. But yeah, I just, I just felt like that was quite nitpicky to be like, no, this one wig... So you're in the bottom mm -hmm. when some other people like either didn't get the routine, which seems like a much bigger deal. Mm -hmm. And actually her final look, I was like, I love the final look. I'm loving the lilac. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure it is kind of that fair to read her for her corset this harshly, especially when other people have like corsets showing or like their look isn't as good. I don't know. Yeah, and I felt that the, the unfortunate thing was Crystal Versace won, which was great for her. I'm so glad she won because she redeemed herself for a win. But I felt a bit like they had quite a similar wig. It was the same silhouette of a wig. And they go, yeah. Crystal, it is a short wig, but you made it work. And I thought... Mm, yeah, it's the, it, you can see it's just a little bit hypocritical. And that's what's mm -hmm. uncomfortable about it. Because I just... I, I think vanity is amazing. And I... Mm. They clearly know that Vanity's amazing because actually, you know, Electra really turned out some tricks in the lip sync. I think, you know, oh I wouldn't God, have yeah. been surprised if they'd said, okay, Electra, mm. Shantae, you stay. Mm. But it's Milan that stayed. It's because they know that Milan has more to give. And I'm, mm. I think when it gets to the point where you know that someone should stay, even if, even if maybe arguably the other person turned it out more in the lip sync... Mm -hmm. then why are they in the bottom? Especially over a wig. I'm not sure. It's funny because I felt that Kitty doing Marilyn was incredible and I thought that Elle of the Day looked a bit like a... Because they were so similar. I thought it's a bit like Marilyn and Jane Russell. Like, sort of, this. they could have been, like been like a duo act. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. And my last comment on the runways that I wrote that I think I'm probably going to get cancelled for on Twitter now was Charity Case's outfit. I thought it was incredible, right? I love yeah, Art too. Queen's. But I did feel like it was kind of like if if it was like a gory gothic sort of like Teletubby meets Finding Nemo because it was like <laughs> orange and it, she, the headpiece just made me think of a Teletubby. But I loved it because I thought it was so out there. And when they were like, well, you know, it's wearing you, you're not wearing it. And I thought, it, I think it's amazing. <laughs> I think it's so art, art, like it was art to me. But she obviously 
wasn't the bottom two, which brings us nicely to the next thing that um, the bottom two is Vanity Milan and Electra Fence. And I will say that is one of my favourite songs. M People Moving On Up is a, an anthem that I play when I DJ. And I was sitting yeah. like, my house like, yes, girls. It's and a banger. I, I love it too. I could not call it. I actually was like, I think they're both going to stay. I thought and then it was going to be both staying. 100% and agree. I, and I had that weird instinct that I thought, is this going to be a they'll both stay? And then Eureka situation, Victoria's going to ask to leave. So when obviously Electra left and I thought, oh, okay. Because when she done that jump over, I went, I think she's got this from that jump. Yeah. But then my attitude to that is you shouldn't really get saved just because you do a big stunt that could actually break a leg. But yeah. But it was an incredible lip sync. It was probably one of my favourite. I couldn't even keep up. I thought, where are, what, who's doing what right now? This is like everywhere. Yeah. Um, I felt like it was an after party at mine after like a night out. Like everyone's <laughs> jumping about. They were and so like, into it. Because I agree. It's like you don't want to save someone just based on tricks mm-hmm. because there are loads of performers that can't do tricks and it's not fair to just always like favour the people that can do that. But mm-hmm. she wasn't just doing that. She was totally. really turning it out. Her, mm. I felt sucked in. She was incredible. They both were. They were both incredible. So close. So stressful for the second week as well to have mm-hmm. two such strong queens in the bot in the bottom two. I was mm-hmm. it was nail biting. I just oh, I hate to mm-hmm. see a queen go when she has so more to I. give. Like Anubis, I'm still gutted. I'm still getting so over it. Sweet yeah. Anubis. I've got like no nails left. I'm having to use fake ones because I just keep biting them in the stress. So yeah. Um, so, oh, it's been such a delight having you on Jory's Juice. We're going to round off soon, but we're, before obviously we go, I'm hoping Victoria Scone manages to say, we'll find out more in episode three when I review that with the next guest. But, you know, I'm hoping, healing energy put out there that she'll be back and she'll be fighting fit. Um, before we finish, where can people follow your work? And do you have anything else coming up? project-wise yeah well I'm going on tour actually with Charity Case and Cherry Valentine and Joe Black in the Tales of the Condemned tour which is like the best drag artists doing horror um I think we're joining the tour me and uh Victor Victorious and Luce Willis of Pex we're there in Watford on the 15th Brighton on the 16th Southampton on the 17th I think this is early in the morning for me to remember things in my head. But yeah, we'll be on the Tales of the Condemned tour. Um, the Lowell Word is going to be doing big shows at Soho if you're in London. And yeah, follow me at Jodie Mitchell, etc. on Instagram, at Jodie Mitchell underscore on Twitter. I'll put updates on there. And at Pets Drag Kings for all things pets. But yeah, it's been so good doing this. I've had so much fun. I feel even more invested in Victoria now, having talked it through. I'll be turning up with my fan club t-shirt for the next scenes. Jodie Mitchell, a.k.a. John Travolta, thank you so much for getting juicy with Jordy. Oh, thank you. Thanks again to the Danny, to my Sandy, Jodie Mitchell, a.k.a. John Travolta, for sharing their incredible work. And a big thanks to all you, my darlings, for listening to episode two of Jory's Juice, the definitive podcast on RuPaul's Drag Race UK season three. There's loads more juice where that came from. You'll soon be able to find future episodes on Acast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
thanks to Andy Lum for editing this episode and as ever to my lovely producer Rowan Green. This podcast was a Solar Sounds production. See you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.